Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell, joined by Zach Bartle. Zach, what's going on, man? Do I hear some sweet sax music in the background there? <laughs> you very well might. Uh, my son is uh, in his room, which is kind of two doors down from where we're recording, uh, practicing. So you very well could be hearing some saxophone music. Dude, how old is your son? He is 17. He is, um, he's not uh, my biological son. He's, uh, I call him my son. He's an exchange student that my wife and I have had for the past four and a half years. Um, wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So he will, um, he'll be with us next year when he graduates uh, high school. And then um, he's looking to go to, he doesn't know where he wants to go to college. But, um, but yeah, he's been with us for that long. And so we've just called him our son. Do you know that I uh, I actually play the saxophone as well? Really? Yeah, I, I actually dusted it off. This is this is like one of several levels of providential here this week. I actually pulled that thing out to play on Easter morning with a, like a, a little ensemble at the church for the first time. I hadn't played it in years. Nice. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'm I'm a woodwind guy. That's 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 where I fall. What about what about our guest? You know, I'm trying to segue us. What, there you what, do, go. what do you play? John Crotz joining us today. We're going to be talking about his book, Graciousness. But before we do that, John, yeah, let's hear about music. Do you play anything? Uh, I, I love to play the radio. That, that's worked pretty well over the years. Um, <laughs> a little bit of piano, a little bit of trumpet a long time ago. Nice. You know, Nathan, I don't want to step on your toes or anything here, um, but I think the proper way to, to welcome John is to say, hey, John Boy. <laughs> it's an Ellis reference. I know. I know. That's fantastic. <laughs> I was thinking about it, but I, I didn't want to steal the gut checks references. I'm trying not to do that here. <laughs> that's why I figure if you're doing it, it's all good. <laughs> uh, Dude, can I tell the, the, the weird story of Providence? Oh, yeah. By way of, of introducing this book? So you told me like three weeks ago, you're like, we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to talk about this book John Cross wrote, uh, his latest book. And I was like, I can't keep up with what his latest book is. This guy's got like a book coming out like every 45 minutes. But uh, <laughs> I, so I'm like, I don't think I have the latest one, but I can, I can roll with it. I'll just ask questions. So then I go and I check my, my post office box, which I check at most four or five times a year. And <laughs> it, it, that was like two weeks ago. Sitting in my post office box, mailed out at least a month before you and I even started talking about me joining you yeah. on the regular on the podcast. I had a copy of Graciousness Tempering Truth with Love by one Johnny Crotz. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he just sent it to be gracious. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I, it, it's true. I did I did send it before you joined the These Go to Eleven podcast. There this is how God works in mysterious ways. And and you know, I, I would have probably eventually read it, but because we had to discuss it, I read it in short order. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a fairly short book, and I say that for, for people who, you know, maybe they have a stack of books to read and they're like, I can't add it. You can read this one in an afternoon. So maybe go ahead and pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. I write books for guys. Uh, <laughs> try, try, try to try to help men who who don't think of themselves as readers to become readers. So 
Nice. Uh, some, some, uh, I resonate with the guy who said, when, when it's all said and done, my collected writings will be at a, ha- at half an inch. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's still longer than a Joe Thorne book. So there it is. Ooh, that's, that's true. Shots fired. <laughs> Uh, John, um, you've been a long-term uh, friend and listener. Your brother Jeff was on here, um, yes. you know, toward the beginning of the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, friends, family, things you got going on down there in Georgia. Absolutely. So, yeah, Jeff and I grew up in Virginia Beach uh, together, and then we went to the opposite ends of the globe. So he's in Alaska, and I'm in Atlanta. On the south side of Atlanta, I've been serving as the pastor of Faith Bible Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia, which is on the south side of Atlanta for nearly 23 years Mm. by the Lord's grace. So went to Liberty and then went to the Master's Seminary and did my D-Men at Southern Seminary in Louisville. Mm. So this book is actually uh, kind of the, the popular version of my doctoral thesis that I did there. Nice. You, nice. You've been at that church 23 years. Yes. How long are you going to stay? I, I don't. I don't have. I don't have an ambition. You know. Somebody said, "Why did you come to this church?" And I said, "They offered me a job. <laughs> Why have you stayed there?" Well, no one else has offered me a job. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't fire you, right? Well, yeah, yeah. He, that's why I say it's it's by the grace of God. <laughs> I, I just want to say maybe that's not all that gracious to the guy who follows you. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> when, you, when you come in after the guy who's been there like 30 years, I would never do it. You need a buffer in between, some guy to get all the, but Pastor John didn't do it this way. That's right. <laughs> the, the sacrificial lamb. <laughs> oh, man. I'm looking at the back of your book here, John, and um, the back of your book is, as Zach mentioned, Gracious, Tempering Truth with Love. And I notice um, this one endorsement you have by one Albert Moeller Jr. Um, who? Huh? Yeah, right. Who's who's that guy? <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> um, and this, I mean, this is just you know really um, you know impressive, and you know the things that he writes are great. And I just I want to read that real quick. Um, his endorsement of it because I think it's it is very true about this book and what you wrote. It says uh, truth matters, but as the Apostle Paul wrote, we must always speak the truth in love. For the Christian, our demeanor is just as important as our words. John Crotz helpfully reminds us that graciousness is at the very heart of the Christian life and is essential to the health of the church. Graciousness is an our Excuse me. Graciousness is an articulate biblical and pastoral reflection on graciousness and how God's people can cultivate this character in their life. Crot's message is urgently needed in the church and deserves careful consideration by any disciple who treasures the grace of God. Um, and I definitely, I, I think it's so great that you put that out. As you know, that is one thing that we try to model and, and set forth as an example on this podcast. And I, I just want to know, um, how long had you been thinking about writing a book like this, John? What, what was kind of, you know, had this been formulating for a while or is this something, uh, where you just kind of sat down and like, you know, this needs to be written and I'm going to just bang this out quick. I've been listening to Zach's podcast clinch and, uh, he's been talking about just kind of different formats of writing and things like that. And so I'm just curious what your process is with that. Yeah. So this, 
this specific book, uh, I almost laugh and, and, and say it's autobiographical. I was kind of the cage stage Calvinist before it was cool or before it was a thing. Uh, after, <laughs> after, after I became a Christian, uh, you know, I grew up in church, and, uh, but I, I had prayed the prayer, but, but there was no life change. And some guys in my public high school gave me uh, actually uh, cassette tapes of a Christian comedian. Um, and he was kind of walking through the story of the gospel, and it just came to life in my heart. Mm. And I was so, so thrilled. And looking back, I, I see that that's when I became a Christian. Well, in God's providence, I got a job at a Christian bookstore. And so I was around other Christians of all kinds of varieties and stripes. And one of my fellow workers was a Calvinist. And this is, this is in the mid-80s. And again, this Calvinism was not popular at all back in those days. And I fought, you know, uh, fought him. He would show me verses in Ephesians 1 or Romans 9, and I would yell John 3.16 and stick my fingers in my ears and run away. But uh, the, tr- the, the truth wore me down. And once once I came to these truths, I thought everybody should come to these truths. <laughs> and instead of being patient and gracious, I thought they should come to these truths tonight, you know. Yeah. And so I would use God's word sometimes like a club or, or you know, gather ammunition for the next battle. And I really think my desire was to win rather than to be a blessing to the people I was talking to. And so uh, one of the guys that I was working with uh, had a navigator background. And the navigators are really into scripture memory. And he was getting ready to go on vacation. He said, hey, I've got some verses I want you to memorize. And when I come back from vacation, I want us to talk about them. Mm. And they were the verses in Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 24 and following that says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so I'm like, what, well, what, what, what's the issue here? You know, but, uh, they were absolutely timely. And really, I think that was the beginning of God's work in, in helping me not to diminish my passion for truth or even precision in our understanding of the truth, but to speak that truth in love, to elevate the graciousness, to go along with the passion for truth. So, so really, that was that was the culmination of uh, I, I want to say my uh, my passion. That was the initiation of my my growth in this. And so, over the years, of course, I think about the year two thousand. I think we're going to look back and see a revival of reformed theology, and uh, in our land, and you know, we thank God for it. But um, uh, what's happened, though, is you've got all these new Calvinists, just like me, and they're, they're still, you know, cage stage. Right. And so that was really who I was thinking of, just people like me. You're excited about the truth. You're zealous for the truth. But don't, don't dial down your passion for truth. Instead, elevate the kindness and sweetness that ought to go along with that passion for truth. 
John, why do you think that, I mean, you, you tie in this book, having received grace and acknowledging the grace you've received very tightly with the idea of being gracious to others, right? Why do you think a group of people that tend to call ourselves, you know, doctrines of grace Christians, grace, you know, grace, 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 right. tends to have such a struggle with being gracious, well, I appreciate what one guy called it. You know, we need to become, he said, our, our, our aspiration is to become experiential Calvinists, uh, where the truth that we know in our heads, quote unquote, makes its way down into our hearts and in our lives. And I think a lot of people know the facts and they mean well. And so they want to pound those facts into other people. But it takes time to kind of work it out in your life. I mean, you're right. The doc, uh, to, to understand that God is sovereign and, and to see myself as, you know, totally depraved and, and just in desperate need of God's grace ought to be the most humbling <laughs> reality of all. Mm. And yet that is sadly not always the case with some people that come to these understanding of the truth and how they might put it over somebody else's head, you know, and, and talk down to them. Right. It's really, it, it really doesn't, doesn't, you know, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. John, let me ask you, do you think um, this also, if we were to take this a step back, this is, uh, it can be one of the fundamental problems with even new believers who have received Christ for the first, you know, not for the first time, but have received Christ um, and, and they're going out trying to preach the gospel. Do you think that this is an issue for them as well at times, uh, kind of putting the, the reform Calvinism aspect of things aside from that? Sure. Oh, absolutely. I think really any truth you learn can become a pitfall if you don't have the love that goes with it. So any of the any teaching of scripture or the gospel itself can absolutely become something that in our flesh we might misuse as we try to communicate it. Uh, zeal is a good thing. Uh, zeal for truth is a good thing. So I always wanted to make sure whenever I've been talking about the book or the message of the book to never, to never suggest in any way that I want us to lower our zeal for the truth uh, so but we just have to have the love too mm. um, so once again we're talking with John Crotz his book Graciousness Tempering Truth with Love um, John walk me through kind of the what you see as the, the practical example of somebody who is coming to these truths and how how they can temper themselves with this, because I, I know what you're talking about. I've I've experienced it firsthand in my own life. Um, I, I I would guess, Zach, you you've seen this before in your life as well. I think any believer can honestly say that they have been there and done that and seen this happen. What do you think is kind of the the issue with how these truths are approached? Is it a lack of teaching within the church on how to approach people like this is it just is it just kind of a natural thing where people who learn these truths need to grow and mature in them and how they present them to people what is what are your thoughts on that 
Right. I think it's. I think it's maybe all of the above. Mm. Uh, maturity, growing in love. I mean, you know, Paul said to the Thessalonians, "Hey, you you are taught by God to love, but you still need to excel still more in that." And I I think that that's always true of all of us. I think even though there's this revival of you know solid God centered theology that's that's kind of broken out across our land in the last uh, 15 or 18 years there's still we are still the absolute minority so uh, there, there's still a vast number of churches that are not elevating God's truth or or seeking to be precise or seek, seeking to be in depth and so I really think that's that's a consideration as well people aren't aren't taught very well but one thing that I do think is interesting, when I was doing the research for my doctoral thesis, you know, you had to kind of read all the books you could find mm. or the major books on the subject. And I found a whole lot of books that talked about the importance of graciousness. And I didn't find any books that walk through how to cultivate graciousness in our hearts. Mm. And so I do think that that's one of the things that I tried to do is to really be utterly practical. So the second half of the book is, you know, all of these different ways. Many of them are very simple and some are very obvious if you just sat down and thought about it. But I tried to catalog all of these different ways that believers can cultivate graciousness in their lives. And I don't think that there's... The people who would care about becoming more gracious, I don't think there's a lot of teaching for them on actually how to do it. Yeah, and and I think that's so true because, I, again, I remember just my own experience. It was be gracious, you know, love people. Right. and. Right. There, you know, there was nothing to kind of hang your hat on with that. No, you know, I mean – Christ, you know, comes down and, you know, his disciples ask him, how do, how do we pray? And, you know, he teaches them. And I think as Christians, we forget, um, as oftentimes happens with anything that you kind of grow and develop in what it's like to be a beginner, what it's like to be new. And you almost forget those steps and the process that, oh, wait, no, these things have to be taught at this basic level in order for them to understand What's going right. on? Um, you mentioned a lot about, um, of course, Jesus and his graciousness with people. You mentioned the Apostle Paul, but you also talk a lot about John Newton. Talk to me about mm. um, him and, and his life and uh, how that influenced and impacted you and your writing in this book. Oh, absolutely. Uh John Newton, I had a, I had a, a privilege to write a, a little short biography of John Newton in the bite-sized biography series that Evangelical Press did a few years ago. And so it was a joy to get to dig into his life. Uh, you know, he's most known for Amazing Grace, yeah. of course. And, I, and I've often said, Amazing Grace was not a one-hit wonder with John Newton. It right. was the theme song of his whole life. He, you know, when you think of epic movies that we like or, or books like The Lord of the Rings, for example, 
one of the reasons why it's such an enduring and powerful story is because it was so bad for so long. Mm. I mean, those first first episode was so dark, and the you know second one was just brutal. Until about halfway through, you got a little bit of hope, and then by the end, it was you know this epic conclusion. Well, I think sometimes God allows people to go through deep, deep darkness to show them just how great his grace is. And John Newton was like that. Uh, I mean, his his sweet mother was a Christian, but his father was like the Mediterranean merchant captain. Mm. His mother died when he was about seven. And so he was basically raised on the ships after after about age 11. And the, the crusty character of the sailors uh, was definitely caught by him. And at, at one point, he got pressed into military service, and he was so wicked and awful that he got traded by the Navy vessel to a slave ship. And he ended up going into business with this slave uh, trader on the west coast of Africa. And he got on the wrong side of this guy's wife and basically became a slave himself with no hope oh, <laughs> of wow. rescue uh, for, oh. for, for almost two years. Huh. He was in this, uh, you know, uh, West African island in a hut. He was so desperate and so sick. He was like scourging, scourging around for roots to eat to supplement the food he had. The slaves felt sorry for him and and helped share food with them. Anyway, it's a, it's crazy. Hmm. So then he he gets rescued. I mean, all of these stories are just you could you could talk a long time about him, but as he he's he's rescued. But even then, it's like his depravity was asleep and just comes back to life. And he's so wicked. He's composing songs against the captain of the ship who's being kind to him. Like all of those later latent talents used for him writing, he was using for vile purposes. The ungodly captain said, you're like Jonah, which I don't think he had really read Jonah lately because it doesn't go well for anybody in Jonah's story right. <laughs> until Jonah thrown over, right? But uh, then they get in this massive storm at sea and he cries out for God's mercy. And he then is stunned by the words that came out of his mouth, wondering if there was any mercy for him. Nobody thought they were going to live for 12 hours. He's on the deck, uh, tied to the deck of the ship, steering the ship because he had some sea experience while they were desperate to, to get rid of any water and cargo they could so they could survive. Four weeks, they, they go through the Atlantic Ocean until they, they land at Loch Swilly in Ireland. And during those weeks, he's just devouring the Bible, wondering if there's any mercy for him. And uh, John Newton's salvation was not like the light switch. It was like the dimmer switch. <laughs> and God was so kind and merciful to him. After he became a Christian, he still wasn't really taught very well, and he wanted to go back at sea. It was all that he knew. Then he actually did his captaining of slave ships himself, mm. and it, it was it was the whole thing was was quite a process. Uh, he had a ended up having a seizure, so he missed being captain of one of his ships. He got a job as the surveyor of the tides in Liverpool for a few years, and during that time he was really wrestling with a call to ministry. And uh, then for about 
17, 18 years, he was the pastor of this little small church in only England. And then for the last 22 years of his life, he was a pastor in downtown London. But it was, it was, it was during those days, he, he just, he was just marked by grace and graciousness. He knew John Wesley and George Whitfield and loved them both, even though they were bitter rivals on some areas of theology. John Newton basically was a peacemaker. He, he served in the Church of England because he thought it gave him a greater uh, platform for ministry in that time. But there's a great story in Olney where a famous Baptist preacher had come to town and he he shut the doors of his own church so the whole church could go to the Baptist church. <laughs> well, those things are just not done in, you know, arrogant rivalries sometimes. I appreciate Zach the other the other week on the podcast you were talking about your Passion Week services with some of the other uh, guys in town and what a blessing that is. John Newton had that kind of spirit and even though he was a man of the truth, he was full of grace. Of course, that great quote, which comes out in the, the Amazing Grace movie, uh, very accurate. At the end of his life, he says, I, I can't remember much, but I know two things. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Mm. And so John Newton is, uh, I think, just a wonderful model of maintaining passion for truth and yet being kind and gracious and sweet about it, not being a jerk about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That, that was a little bit of the John Newton rant, but no, uh, that's that was a, awesome. That was good. I'm afraid we're out of time. It was great to have you with us. It's good stuff. Dude, don't bring up that amazing grace movie. I'll just start weeping. If I think about it, that thing <laughs> wrecked me. <laughs> yeah. It, it was really good. Um, you know, the, the, uh, one of the interesting things I, I found in the book was, and, and this is pathetic that I hadn't you know, taken the time to put this together kind of in my, um, my own study and stuff, but, but when you talk about you know, those seven letters in uh, the book of Revelation, yeah. and, and I mean, you have, you have the two extremes. You have the very tolerant but truth-free church, uh, and Jesus has a, a rebuke for them. Then you have Ephesus, uh, the church that is very doctrinally sound, but but cold and unloving. Mm. Um, and then you start plugging in the whole background because we know we know so much about the founding of that church, about its early life. Um, and, and and I think I start seeing kind of some of what you talk about with the cage stage stuff. And with people of, of any stripe who are really well-versed in their own theology, um, it, it's, it's not a new problem. It's not like it came about with the young restless reformed or with you know, the, the Seventh-day uh, Sabbath people or whatever. This is something that has been around since the, the first century. Uh, and, and we're looking at uh, a, a problem that's definitely a heart problem, and the solution isn't learn more head stuff. Uh, and I really appreciate that, that that's why you, I mean, you get very uh, rubber meets the road in the second half of the book. And if you're, if you're like me, you know, and you know what you should do and you're often saying, but help, you know, tell me how to do it. Uh, this is a great book to pick up because it does, it kind of, it kind of walks you through biblical uh, rationale, but then also kind of very concrete steps to take uh, in, in your 
personal life and your church life to mm. to get out of that trap. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That in in Revelation two, I think a neat insight is just where we think about Jesus saying, you know, you've left your first love, and so often, and I think rightly so, we immediately just think, oh, their love for the Lord. They they don't have love for the Lord. But the very next words that he gives are, are do the works you did at first, which are probably horizontal, loving works toward their fellow believers. So if that's the case, then they had a passion for the truth. They tested the false teachers and proved them wrong. And, and they hated the false teaching of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus said he also hated. But he said, you've left your first love, their love for the Lord and love for people. And then at the end of, of the letter, he said, if you don't repent, I'm going to snuff out your lampstand. And I've always laughed and said, there's a whole lot of things I don't understand in the book of Revelation, but I always appreciate it when the inspired author John tells us what the symbols mean. And in that case, the lampstands mean the church. Mm-hmm. So when we put it all together, Jesus is saying, I would rather have the church snuffed out than to have a bunch of truth monsters that don't love people. And there were centuries where there was not a Christian that we know of in the city of Ephesus. Right. And even it was today, snuffed. Even yeah. today. Yeah. I mean, if you go to, to Western Turkey, um, there's a little small church in a nearby uh, city, but it's nothing like, like it was uh, back then. Yeah. You know, but that, that kind of – the leads into a, a, a question I have, and this is, you know, I'm going to try and graciously push back and ask for clarification on some stuff. Um, when you talk about Jesus' words, uh, you know, to the, the church in Ephesus, Jesus' words to, to uh, a number of, of these churches, he refers to that woman Jezebel, um, which is not a, you know, overly fuzzy thing. To call right. someone, whether it, whether he's talking about, I, I from my reading, uh, believe he's talking about a particular false teacher, uh, but he could have also been, you know, like the elect lady. It could have been a, a sect or something. Either way, that's that's pretty harsh. You yeah. you acknowledge, uh, you know, when Jesus on page thirty seven, when Jesus did not seem gracious, the woes, and say you you do deal with the fact that there's some stuff that comes right. off Jesus' lips. Um, that, that is, I mean, it just had to be truth, bald truth. Here it is. I'm not going to couch it. But mm-hmm. then when you get to, to Paul, um, you tend to talk about him being inconsistent when he, he talks in kind of the same tone on a number of occasions. And, and yeah, we got to be careful with prescriptive versus descriptive stuff. And it's very easy. You know, like when, when I was really into, when, when, when we were just starting to write some of these satires and, and a lot of what I was listening to was, you know, the discernment blogs, and it was always about, this guy's wrong, here's why, let's just wreck him. And, and that's just terrible. It was horrible for my soul, and, and, and it's, it's just not good stuff. Um, and people tend to always say, well, no, that's okay to do that because, and they go to some of these, you know, tirades that the Apostle Paul goes on. They, they go to uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Um, your, your God is probably pooping right now. Um, you know, that kind of thing. They go to Paul saying, I wish these guys who were so obsessed with circumcision would go the whole way and, you know, chop them right off. Uh, and I, I'm not overly comfortable with the idea, uh, you know, of that being our model, you know, these few verses, select them and justify 
harshness. At the same time, I, I don't know, is, is there justification to say whenever Paul seems like he's, he's harsh with false teachers, especially, that he's being inconsistent? Oh, no, no, I, would, I certainly don't think that. I mean, uh, when, he, when he says uh, some of those things that you mentioned, like in Galatians 5, uh, no, I think he's, I mean, obviously, the inspired apostle writing these things. I mean, he's representing the Lord's own passion for the truth in those ways. The, the specific time I was thinking about, I was just thinking about a couple of those stories in the book of Acts, where, especially where, uh, he kind of goes off on the high priest and doesn't realize it's the high priest. You know, God, do so to you too, you you know, whitewashed tomb or whatever. And they slap him in the face, and he's like, "Oh, sorry, my bad. Didn't realize he was the high priest," and <laughs> that, that kind of thing. And and obviously, who knows what happened during the 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 Paul and Barnabas uh, going separate ways. Uh, all we know is it, it says that. You know, there was a sharp dispute. You know, you wish you could, uh, you know, see the DVD of that one. <laughs> right. That's how we know that Paul was Baptist, by the way. You know, he's, he's breaking up with John Mark. He's he's splitting all the time. So clearly he was Baptist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, But, <laughs> but uh, how, so how do you – I'm sorry, go ahead. I just think um, maybe a good way one, – one of the things I think is, is really good to say is often when we see Jesus – what I want to suggest is that there's a gracious intent behind even his plainest speaking. So he doesn't lead with uh, harshness at all. And I'm going to say, of course, that he was never sinfully harsh in any way. But he was very plain and very bold uh, and very clear. But what was his point? His goal was not to win. You know, when you when you see some of these discernment websites, like you mentioned, and some of these blogs, my soul, do they care at all about the people they're talking about? Or are they just trying to uh, rip them to shreds publicly for their own, you know, patting one another on the back, it seems. You know, the, the old joke, there, there used to be an old, uh, older couple uh, back in the 80s and 90s that was writing a lot of things against uh, – Christian psychology and and somebody made a joke that they they actually turned on each other and the husband and wife wrote books against each other now you know because oh boy. you know that that was just as a joke but no one was safe you know and, and so what we want to do we want to be kind lead with kindness I, I I think Ken Sandy said that in the Peacemaker book lead with kindness if we have to speak more plainly. Uh, even in terms of correction or rebuke, don't may it, may it not be the first thing out of our mouths, if at all possible. Now, one illustration I like is uh, I've got four kids, and if one of my kids, when they were younger, was playing too close to the street or, or bounced into the street or, or whatever, and there was a car coming, I would address them very plainly. I would raise my voice. It would, there would be an urgency about it. But I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to save their lives. Oh, yeah. And, and so I think that we just have to, you know, look at our own hearts. Uh, you know, and, and again, our hearts are tricky. We can't know our hearts. Uh, but as best that we can, are we trying to be kind? Or do we have a gracious intent? Are we trying to be a blessing 
even if it's a blessing of speaking plainly, or are we, are we just trying to win? Are we trying to score points? Are we trying to pat ourselves on the back? I, I certainly know back in my early Christian days, I was, I was notching, notching uh, my belt, you know, when I had theological victories, re- whether or not the other person, uh, you know, was black and blue by the end of it. Yeah. There, there, is there not also a time, though, to, I mean, not consider just winning the argument or winning that person, which, you know, like that text you read, you, you might yet win him back from, from Satan. But yeah. there's, there's also the, um, and the, there's been a couple times in my ministry where I've gotten pretty, pretty uh, you know, John Edwards on people and looked back and said, you know, we've fully expecting to have to repent and thought, no, that, that was probably, that's probably justified because it wasn't them I was thinking about. It was all the people being led astray. And I think right. about Jesus warning about false shepherds yes. and things. And, and, you know, is there a time when, you know, is there a sliding scale maybe? You know, if, I, if you, you only are, are wrecking your own, you know, shipwrecking your own faith and hurting yourself, I need to come in with kid gloves and care. And, you know, like, for example, there's, there's a, no pastor on the planet right now. It's not dealing with some aspect of young people with gender identity stuff uh, right. to some degree. I don't want to come in there guns blazing and win an argument. I'll win the argument. I'll lose, I'll lose that young man or woman, for, you know, forever um, if I'm harsh. But if I come in, you know, kid gloves on when I had a group of refugee Christians and one of them was teaching falsehood and people were falling away. I came in right away. You know, I said, you need to repent right now or or we're going to, you know, very seriously consider pulling the plug on this whole thing. And I'm going to try and take every one of your sheep from you. Um, yes. No, I agree. I agree. I think you're I think you're exactly right. And I I really think. Uh, that's probably part of the point in Matthew 23 when Jesus is going through the woes of the scribes and the Pharisees and, and calling their hypocrisy out. I think he was doing that for the people who were swayed by the Pharisees as well as the Pharisees themselves. And people need to know how terrible this is. So what, what I would say is, did Jesus just wake up on the wrong side of the bed, quote unquote, and decide, enough, I'm just going to go off on these guys. I don't think so at all. I think his zeal was for the glory of God and for the truth and for the people who he was addressing as well as the, the people that had been influenced by, them, by those Pharisees and scribes. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, can we, like you said, maybe, you know, I appreciate that. You thought, maybe I'm going to need to repent of this, but maybe not. I think we're always going to have to be judging our hearts, and and sometimes we're going to cross the line. You know, we live in a fallen world. It doesn't always come out right, but as best that we can, like Paul said that time, you know, I I just, I'm trying to go by my conscience on this one. Do my best. Remember Keith Green, do your best. Pray that it's blessed. He'll take care of the rest. You know, (laughs) we try to do our best uh, with I'm the weatherman. Yeah, <laughs> I love that song. And, and, and yet Keith Green then coming in with uh, uh, some of these rants at Cornerstone yep. and stuff that were probably too harsh. That you know the the uh, 
women, you're wearing the short shorts. You know, I don't think he ever called them whores or anything, but that was the subtext. You're you're causing these good young men to stumble. It's not the evil in their hearts. It's you. You know, and and the church today. I do you think we got to be more careful about this today because the world sits poised, ready to say, you preach grace, and yet you're just ready to condemn at a drop of a hat. Well. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that it's a different situation. The world's the world's been against us uh, all the time. I mean, it, you know, the temptations come and go. I I think there's a whole lot more uh, Christians that are just you know lukewarm, wishy washy, uh, not taking stands for truth. And I think the spirit of the age is obviously the the hyper tolerance. Doug, Doug Wilson made it, coined a term, or or he quoted a term, totalitolerance. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's where everybody is today. So you know, I, I'm still wanting Christians to rise up and and speak the truth and take a stand, but they've got to be kind. They've got to be gracious. And, and I mean, that's what Jesus was, full of grace and full of truth. And so. It's a it's a it's a difficult balance, and of course, like I said, we don't even know our own hearts. Some of these people who go off are probably think they're being well intended, but uh, you know we need to love people in a way that they'll know we're loving them, and as best that we can, uh, with a heart to be a blessing to them. We're not just trying to win. We're not trying to blow them out of the water. We're speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. Nice. Um, once again, we're speaking with John Crotz, his book, uh, Graciousness, Tempering Truth with Love. John, I want to just kind of follow up with what you and Zach were talking about there, um, what, you know, talking about speaking the truth in love. Um, and I, I almost – I look at the things that Zach says and I almost see that response more than I see – the the willingness to accept and I, and, I, and I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I think that there is a general willingness to accept everyone and everything. But I think that there's a lot of people on both sides of the scale that recognize okay, there's something different about those people that that's not that's not truly what Christianity is because because I do talk with a lot of people who aren't believers who will who will ask me about those things. Now, these mm-hmm. people are saying this, but that doesn't really seem to jive with Scripture and what Scripture says. Um, I, my experience is more with like what Zach says, that, that idea that, you know, th- particularly with social media, there's a whole lot of truth out there, but there isn't really a whole lot of love going behind it. You, you'll see articles flying up and this, that, and the other. And I, I don't necessarily begrudge you know, people like pastors and things like that, people like that who will put those things out there for their congregations or for people who are, you know, kind of seeking that guidance from them. But there's a whole lot of people who will put things up there and then they'll start engaging in these really long threads that really don't demonstrate the love of God. (laughs) Um, Right. And Why you got to talk about me? I'm right here, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get so. to you. We'll get to you later, Zach. <laughs> 
Um, no, but but just that word for those people as well, you know. And, and Steve Hartland and I, uh, I think this was either last month or the month before, we talked about that. That you know, the, uh, yeah, I think there's a time and a place, and and I think all of these things need to be taken into account. And I think the problem is people find themselves in ruts where you find the the nicest person in the world who won't, you know. Who, who won't rise up anyone, you know, and get them going and get them stirred. And so, you know, there, there's an aspect that is like, oh, you know, they're just, they're so kind, but it's like, but they're so kind, they're never going to call anyone out on anything. Then you have the people who, you know, are not kind, but they're willing to call everyone out on everything. Um, and so having that discernment of, there is a time and a place for everything and there should be a time and a place where we are willing to rise and have that harsh word. Um, but there also should be those times where we're willing to, you know, subdue the harsh word, uh, for the sake of the gospel. And I I have several friends who, um, are believers who will argue with unbelievers and I'll meet these friends and they're like, well, you're not like this person. Why? It's like, well, because to me, the only thing that's worth arguing about is over the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, you know, if you want to sit down and have a conversation with that, we can do that. But like in terms of, you know, these these other theological matters, you know, those aren't as important to me. I really I don't want to burn up my credit with you arguing about things that I don't view as irrelevant. I might think that they're true, but to me, they're irrelevant in light of the gospel. Absolutely. And you're right. You know, it's a, you know, different, different situations, different people are going to be wired differently, tempted differently, living in different situations. But as you said, we have to have both the passion for truth and know when to use it and how to use it. But we also need to be full of love, full of love in a, in a way that the world stands up and takes notice. Mm. I mean, obviously, Jesus uh, didn't say, they'll know you're my disciples by the detailed doctrinal statement that you've figured out. (laughs) 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 But by your love for one another. And so, absolutely, I think your your instincts are right. (laughs) That we should, especially when we're dealing with unbelievers, that we should keep the main thing the main thing, and that is the gospel of Christ and... And to and to give that out as graciously and lovingly and kindly as we possibly can. Mm. You know, one thing that I thought was interesting was when you were talking about uh, Ephesus, the the idea that this can be a whole church, not just an individual, not not just an immature Christian, but leaven spreads, and yeah. this kind of attitude um, of ungraciousness, of of rivalry, you know, church to church rivalry, or inevitably then you know brother sister rivalry can take over and kind of poison a whole church and i i find it really frustrating and kind of depressing that a lot of the you know like you you go on a website i don't want to say a real website if there was one called like uh, podium and pencil or something and uh and you see just like <laughs> non-stop like yeah hypothetically no no real antecedent um Nonstop, just like sniping, sniping, sniping. You know, Bar- Barnabas Piper um, puts out this incredibly just heartfelt and um, 
vulnerable, transparent thing about his marriage ending and, and reflections on it. And it's so full of the gospel and it's so full. And, and that day you start seeing, you know, stuff taking shots at him. And then remember like, wait a minute, the guy behind this is, is a minister of a church. Um, and, and I, and I'm not by any stretch trying to say, you know, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these, um, watch bloggers because in my heart I am. This is, this is like one of my besetting sins is that I, I kind of love the, the internet dust up the, even, even a, a dark part of me, I have to keep myself from, from kind of giving a private little cheer when, when somebody who's in a different theological camp falls and, and go, wait a minute, where does that come from, dude? That's, that is, that is wicked. Um, but, but have you, have you, do you think that the average Christian church in America today has, tends toward this sort of shrill 24 hour Fox news cycle or, or, you know, whatever, whatever kind of, you know, online punditry, uh, rather than toward really preaching the truth and doing it out of, out of a place of wanting to see people come to faith. Well, I, I think that this is going to be a situation that the leadership is going to be really important. And, you know, how it's modeled uh, in the pulpit week in and week out is going to make a huge difference in how the people respond. You know, we become like the people we hang around, which is my uh, my summary of Proverbs thirteen twenty: He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It, it's just wired into us. We become like the people we're around. That's why godly elders and pastors are so critical because they're to lead by example primarily and by their teaching. And so, you know, I'm not, I know, I know sometimes, uh, Reverend James King listens to this very podcast, (laughs) but if you were part, if you were part of that church, uh, you know, then you could, you could, you could imagine the people in that church week in and week out, having that diet from the pulpit might uh, think that's kind of the model of the Christian life. Mm. And, you know, as funny as his calls are, there are churches like that. (laughs) And there are the reformed version of that. And there are all of those things. I also think, and this is a little bit of a speculation and maybe a little bit of the example of the church of Ephesus. I think that, it's a natural byproduct. Uh, there's going to be a temptation for churches that love the truth. You, you discernment is hard work, and discernment is not necessarily popular. And so, if you are discerning, if you are trying to say not only this is right, but also therefore that is wrong, uh, there's a kind of people that eat that up and, and they, they, they grab onto it and they get excited about it. And if you're surrounded by it, then I think there, there can be a byproduct of the harshness and a, a byproduct of uh, what else can we discern and chew up and spit out mm-hmm. to the, you know, the God's precise uh, matrix, you know, that's going to come out just right with all of our discerning skills firing at full force. And I, yeah. I just, I think that there can definitely, definitely be uh, the byproduct of 
of a lack of love. So I think a church like ours that is trying to be passionate for the truth and to and to figure out and even the details make a difference and and to work it out and to be discerning, we have to almost go over the top on our emphasis on graciousness and sweetness or else we're going to fall into that trap. Yeah. And another proverb that you quote is, make no friendship with an angry man, with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and, his snare, uh, and set a snare for your soul. Which reminds me that one of the requirements of an of a overseer, of a pastor, is not given to fits of rage. Yeah. Uh, and and we, yeah, we've got we to be level-headed about it uh, if we're going to be able to lead people, lead sheep, not, not toward um, this kind of, you know, you, you, can, you can release dopamine in your mind with, with uh, drugs, with porn, with anything. And I think a lot of people are kind of addicted to the, the theological fight um, mm-hmm. instead of, you know, the Christ that we should be pointing toward, whether we're uh, sitting down and weeping with someone who is suffering or whether we are kind of in the midst of a debate about doctrine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, that, was, that was definitely me. That was my temptation to, to get in those fights and, you know. I'm sure deep down, I like I said, I, 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 my wife often tells me on our tombstone, it's going to say they meant well. Uh, you know, <laughs> we, we often have had those times where we were trying, but man, did it ever come out messy. And uh, they, I, very thankful for God's grace. Thankful that the grace of God, he, that Christ didn't just die for the sins we committed before our salvation, but even those that we commit as maturing Christians, and uh, may it be that we continue to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord. Yeah. John, what a great uh, last word. We've actually, um, you know, we've taken this thing uh, almost to an hour here, uh, and it was just, it it was wonderful. So great to have you on and talk with you about this. I want to let our listeners know that we're going to be giving away two of John's books, Graciousness, Tempering Truth with Love. If you go onto Twitter and retweet the posts that we're going to put up uh, once this podcast is released uh, so that this can kind of get out there a little bit more, uh, or on Facebook. So we're going to give one away for a post on Facebook, one away for a tweet on Twitter. And just repost this, uh, retweet this out, then you will be entered into the drawing next week. Uh, We'll announce the winners next week so you have a full week to kind of listen to this and get this up there. Um, but John, thank you so much in coming and talking with Zach and I. Yeah, thanks, this. man. It's been such a blessing to have you on. It's an honor. I appreciate you, guys. I'm a, guys, I'm a, I'm a fan. I, I, I listen all the time, so it's a blessing to get to actually talk back and you guys hear me. You know, I'm talking to you all the time on, <laughs> on, on podcasts, but I'm glad you're listening this time. <laughs> we hear you all the time. We usually just ignore it. Huh? <laughs> well, that could be. That could be. <laughs> It's been an honor. I appreciate you guys. Awesome. Well, we're going to go ahead. We're going to sign off now. Gentlemen, we just rocked the Casbah. These go to 11.